I am now joined by Benjamin Watkins from the Real Atheology podcast. Uh, Benjamin, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? It's uh, Easter Sunday. Uh, it is, which is funny. I actually realized, you know, when I was writing the episode description, everything that hit me, that we kind of changed around the time. We we're going to do this a couple times. This was not particularly planned. It just sort of worked out in a really perfect way that uh, we uh, that this was going to be the Easter Sunday episode that we were going to uh, talk about the Trinity. So, uh, so yeah, this is. Uh, well, maybe we should back up a little bit before we before we get you know get started on kind of the the meat of this and. You know, you should say a little bit about who you are and like what kinds of issues you're interested in and the podcast and all that. Sure. So my name's Ben Watkins, and I'm the host of Real Atheology, a philosophy of religion podcast, where we explore questions in the philosophy of religion from non-theist perspectives, particularly one of religious skepticism. And so we just interact with the latest literature and the philosophy of religion, particularly in the analytic tradition. And see if we can, our uh, perspectives from a religious skeptic viewpoint can help make progress in these domains. And yeah. so the Trinity is one of the central uh, religious con concepts to the Christian tradition. So it's of interest to us, if only for that reason. Right. That makes sense. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of, so I, I just, recently wrote this book about uh christopher hitchens and i uh, kind of discovered you guys after i wrote it but i feel like a, a lot of what i was doing in the parts of it that were uh, about religion i think sort of roughly echo the um the point right which is which is like a lot of what like writing that book made me think about which is that i i, I think that you know for various reasons i actually think uh, public atheism is a useful thing to have. Uh, I just think we need a, a better version than uh, than than what was sort of represented by the the late two thousands, uh, you know, new atheist period, and that certainly seems to be what you're about. And and in particular, you know, like trying to, you know, to to just be really like fastidious and good about you know about getting the arguments right. So, I think that. You know, I think when I invited you to do this originally, it was because you had kind of um, pointed out that there's this um, there's this problem about you know, like you actually, I, I think if I'm remembering this right, you know, you named like a few different sort of core Christian doctrines and said that, and you know, obviously there are different interpretations of this and you know whatever, but like any sort of relatively or, you know, uh, lowercase O orthodox understanding of these core doctrines that, you know, you said um, it's at least not obvious that these are internally coherent. Uh, and, uh, and one of them was the, uh, one of them was the Trinity, you know, the idea that uh, the God is, um, you know, in some sense, there's, you know, there's only one God, but that God is, you know, the, these three persons, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And um, and I think, like, some people had a bad reaction to that because they thought you were being dismissive or whatever. But, I mean, I think what you were saying is literally just like, hey, this is a problem for you guys 
this doesn't look coherent. Now, of course, there are different things that people have said to try to sort of render it coherent, but, you know, you can also just be unconvinced by that. So want to maybe start us up with, like, what the problem is supposed to be? Yeah, so to give a little bit of a backstory into what got me thinking about this issue of the Trinity in particular is in the tradition of natural theology, um, Christians like to claim that there are certain facts that count in favor of Christianity being true. And they might even make something like an inference to the best explanation. They might say, look, Christianity is the best explanation for this set of facts. Mm. But -hmm. when we turn to confirmation theory, um, confirmation theory kind of tells us that there are just certain features of best explanations. So the most common one is Bayesianism, this idea that Mm. we can use Bayes' theorem to understand how things are confirmed or disconfirmed. Mm -hmm. And... So there's one feature of a good explanation is that it's intrinsically probable. And that if it has a low intrinsic probability, if it's to be the best explanation, it must overcome that low intrinsic probability, maybe by appealing to evidence in the world. And so there's a question here. Is Christianity, can it be Mm -hmm. a best explanation of some set of facts? Um if it has a really, really low intrinsic prior probability. Well, why would, why would we think that there, it has this low intrinsic prior probability? And so the thought that I was, was having was, well, look, the Christian tradition um, has as part of it, essential parts of it, the Trinity, the Incarnation, and the Atonement. So the Trinity being three persons in one, the Incarnation being God coming in to the world, through the person of Jesus Christ and the atonement, Jesus Christ suffering to forgive our sins. And so my claim was, look, it's not clear. These concepts are coherent. These parts don't fit well together. And that this is going to count against the prior probability of Christian theism. If you want to offer Christian theism up as a best explanation for some set of facts, Mm -hmm. It needs to be conceded that this hypothesis has a very low intrinsic prior probability because it's piece before we even look at any evidence in the world, such as observations that could confirm or disconfirm Christianity, just the very parts themselves don't fit well together. And that it's not obvious that they can fit together at all. <laughs> and so that's where I really wanted to put raise the, the, the basic problem of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, because it seems that Christians are committed to at least three claims. The first is there's exactly one God. And that's just a traditional point of monotheism. So right. Christians don't take themselves to be polytheists. They take themselves to be monotheists. So there's exactly one God. But they're also committed to the claim that there are exactly three divine persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they're also committed to the claim that each divine person is God, is fully God. Well, these three claims, um, if we understand the is as the expressing the concept of numerical identity, we can derive a contradiction. This is an, what's called an inconsistent triad. If we accept any of the two claims, we can deduce the falsity of the third. And so the, 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 the problem, the logical problem of the Trinity for the, for the 
um, Christian then becomes, how can I understand these three claims such that they don't entail a contradiction? Mm -hmm. And Christian traditions disagree on how to go about doing that. Most of them think that something about those three propositions has to change. We have to understand it in some way differently than what's natural to understand those those right. claims as meaning. And so one tradition, um, kind of the, the oneself tradition, really emphasizes the oneness of God, the unity of God. It says, look, there's just one self. And that the three persons of the Trinity are, you know, something like modes or mm -hmm. features of one God. But another group, the three self theorists, they say, no, 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 they start with the, the, the distinct personhood of the three persons. And they go, look, there's three persons, but they all have something in common. There's a substance they have in common, a trope they have in common, an abstract property they have in common. Yeah, so, so, so right. So, so I, I do want to back up a little bit and just say, like, I'm a little bit fuzzy at all this, but I think... Um, like this, uh, certainly for you know for any anybody who's the right sort of Christian to to care about this that this sort of uh, you know three modes of uh, of one person view I think at least flirts with the sort of thing that got classified as a heresy in the early yes, modalism yeah the early centuries of of Christianity right I mean like it, it is. It is considered very important to say that it's it's not like you know I mean like Jesus is not just like God the Father like in disguise or something right I mean that the the right. the really the common analogy is yeah. water and H two O and how so there'd be one substance H two O that has three different modes um, liquid water ice and steam mm -hmm. but these are sequentially ordered. So, you know, you can't, something can't be both, God can't be both ice and steam at the same time, or I'm sorry, H2O can't be both ice and steam at the same time, or something like that. And so, because it would be ordered, the idea that God's modes are ordered, you know, there was the Father, then there was the Son, and then there was the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. That's the modalist heresy. That's one of the, you know, oh, it seems like we can make coherent sense of this doctrine after all very easily with this modalist heresy. And, um, it's often considered, <coughs> yeah. excuse me, heretical because it's, um, it doesn't get the distinctiveness of persons there. It just kind of sees as, I think you used the, the, the term earlier, kind of like God's got different masks, right? Kind of like how, you know, Samuel Clemens was Mark Twain, and he had other pen names too. And they're just different, in different circumstances, they're different masks that God wears. That's what's considered a heresy. Right. Okay, so, so if you, you know, are again trying to have an orthodox interpretation of these things, so you're not going to do the modalist heresy, and you really say these are three distinct persons, but also... I mean, any kind of remotely orthodox Christianity, it's very important that this this still be, you know, monotheistic, as you said, yes. right? So, so now we have like, 
I mean, a, a pretty simple, at least surface problem, which is that you have, um, you know, three things that are, you know, I mean, that are distinct from each other, right? You know, in other words, they're not the same, they're not the same entity, but then you're, then you're saying that they, they are the same entity and, and it's, and I, I think to really underline this, right? I mean, before I cut you off, you said that one way uh, to sort of understand what's going on here is they all, you know, partake of the same trope or something like that. But it, it can't just be that they all have the the property of like you know goddishness, because if so, I mean, that really sounds like polytheism. Yes. So that would be the other heresy. So the one self view very easy to fall into the heresy of modalism well on the other side the, the, the social view of the trinity where it's three you start with the three distinct persons the three self view the heresy that's really easy to fall in there is tritheism the idea that there are just three gods right um and you just you can't do that if you're going to also claim that the Jewish tradition, you know, is the father of the Christian tradition. You know, and, you know, Christians worship the Jewish God in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is very clear about the oneness of God, the unity of God, and so that it just can't be the case that there are three distinct gods. And right. so, really, the 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 only view that I really find plausible is the one that just kind of in a twist of irony is just it just bites the bullet and says, "Look, like yeah, you are embracing the contradiction, and it's it's the very nature of the contradiction that makes it divine. That's what makes it so beyond human reason. Why we can keep going to it is this infinite source of knowledge is because it's beyond human reason. This is kind of the mysterious view, mm-hmm. but I think that just is to concede the arguments that I was making. Or the mysterious has to say, "Yeah, look, you, with this model." It, the purpose of the Christian view is not to be an explanation of sets of observed facts. It's an experience to be had. And we just concede the point that, yeah, Christian, Christian theism has a low intrinsic probability. But so what? That's part of the mystery. Yeah, right. So, so I mean, okay, so at the... Most extreme end, I guess you could just be a Christian dialetheist and say um, uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes contradictions are just true, right? You know, but of course, in terms of the basic problem being pressed here, that's that's just completely conceding the point. Exactly. Uh, so, so if you're not doing that, right? If you're stopping once, you know, one step short of that and saying, like. Um, <laughs> I remember, uh, I think Eldridge Cleaver, uh, his his memoir, Soul on Ice, uh, he has this thing about going to being in Catholic school or maybe like Sunday school in juvie or something like that. And he's, uh, and, you know, the priest asks if anybody can explain the, you know, the uh, mystery of the Trinity. And he, you know, he's, he's one of the people who raises his hand. He said he was going to do an analogy about three and one oil, uh, which I guess would be the, uh, the modalist heresy. And, uh, <laughs> And then the priest says, "No, nobody can explain the mystery of the Trinity. It's a mystery." And uh, and so if you do that, right, that stops one step short of of just like sort of granting that it's a logical contradiction. Uh, but in the sort of dialectical context that you started with, uh, it's it's not much better because, uh, you know, if you think 
And I mean, like, like I guess, I guess to be really clear, this is, I think this is the biggest problem for a specific maybe type of, you know, Christian or Christian apologist, you know, one who, um, who doesn't like go all Tertullian and say like, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, like the fact that, you know, our puny human minds can't make sense of this, you know, just shows, you know, how deep, you know, like, like, like how profoundly, you know, the mystery of, you know, God's presence is or anything like that. But the kind of Christian who, who says, no, there are like good arguments that I could give you that all this stuff is true. Uh, and if you say they're, you know, good argument, you know, I mean, this is what you said earlier, but I just want to make sure everybody's clear on the point, right? If, if you say there are good arguments, I can give you that all this stuff is true. Like, now you're in the inference, the best explanation business. You're in the business mm-hmm. of saying like, okay, whatever data it is that we're all trying to explain, um, you know, I don't know if it's like design arguments, why the world is the way that it is, you know, whatever, uh, whatever data we're all trying to explain, you know, you're, you're offering yours as the, as the best one, you know, the one that's most likely to be true. And then if, even if for the sake of argument, there is, you know, some sort of way of of uh, getting around the apparent contradiction here that our puny monkey brains can't figure out. Um, I mean, surely if we're arguing about what the best explanation of some phenomena is, and I say, well, um, you know, mine is the best, and then like I start to explain what it is, and you say, I don't really understand that. I say, well, I don't either, but you know, there must be some good way of making sense of it. Then, like, you know that surely does something to the intrinsic likelihood that I'm right. Yeah. Um, the comment that I kind of like to make tongue in cheek is it's, it's, it's like offering up a blue quantum fart as an explanation because you could like, yeah, it sounds like there's, you're referring to some sort of object, but it's not clear if these properties that we're ascribing to these um, objects can, can actually cohere into one, you know, coherent whole. What would it be for a fart to be blue, to have a color? What would it be to to be a fart at a quantum level? What does that even mean? And so it's just, I think, the person who puts this forward as a piece of natural theology, that is the Christian tradition, owes us an explanation of how it is that these things can coherently fit together before we even have to take it and you, you know we might just say no this this isn't actually natural theology at all this is revealed theology you're just you you're getting something from revealed theology and then you're you're trying to reverse engineer it and we want to avoid that that's not you know that's not what the natural theologian wants to say the natural theologian wants to say look it's just unaided human reasoning can just come to the conclusion that there is god independent of a divine revelation. Um, but then again, I think that's the, you know, the Mysterian, it's really difficult to respond to the Mysterian because they just say, the project of natural theology is a failure. You have to turn to revealed, you know, revealed theology. It's the only way that you're going to make sense of something like the Trinity. Yeah, uh, right. Uh, which again, I mean, it's, it's fine, but now you're out of the business of, of convincing yeah, me, yeah. right? So I don't, you yeah, know. You just left the dialectic. Yeah. 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 Right. Okay. So I should say, by the way, anybody who wants to to you know to call in to to weigh in on this or ask a question, in the last ten minutes, you should you should get in the queue. But uh, but I mean, I guess to be fair, one 
like there are people, you know, like I think there is a tradition of, of splitting the difference a little bit between these two postures, the sort of like, I know this purely through revelation or I know this like, um, there's the sort of thing that like, you know, like even like, uh, you know, Alvin Plantinga in some phases of his career sometimes would say, which is like, uh, none of the arguments for God really work. It's just kind of the, you know, internal instigation of the Holy Spirit, you know, leading me to, you know, to belief and maybe the arguments can be the occasion for it. Uh, so that, you know, that's like that one view. And then the other view is the, is, you know, the evidentialists like, no, I'm, I'm actually going to be able to give you good reasons why you should believe this. There is a way of splitting the difference between those yeah, two the things. Swinburne, which... The Richard Swinburne kind of route of saying, you know, he argues that, you know, like, a priori, we could come to the conclusion that there are three gods in one. And it's just, to me, that's just a radical claim, but, you know, that's... Yes. Swinburne argues. (laughs) Yes. Right. So that's like the sort of most extreme version of the evidentialist posture saying like, no, we can come up with like an argument. We don't have to appeal to religious revelation, anything like we can come up with some sort of argument that's just sort of by, um, you know, the, you know, traditional way of putting this, you know, just by like natural reason, you know, we can, we can show you that, um, that the, uh, that, you know, all like these really specific Christian doctrines are true. Like the Trinity is true, but then there's also like a there's also this kind of in between path of saying, uh, you know, which is also a very traditional thing to say that like, well, there's like some of the basic stuff you can get to by natural reason, and that like you need revelation to get you like the last the last leg, right? So uh, on that on that view, you could say. Uh, well, you know, various arguments for the existence of God, etc., you know, are, you know, for the sake of argument, sound and convincing, and you should, you should, you know, so you should believe that there's some sort of God based on that. But then all this stuff about, you know, the incarnation of the Trinity and all that, that, you know, you, you sort of need to, to get from Revelation. And on the surface, this gets around the problem that you're talking about, but I, I think there's a way to sort of, prod whether that distinction could really be made to fully work right because um if you're if you're saying okay the best explanation of the way the world is etc is is god right god created it right that's what you know that's what this is supposed to get you to is supposed to believe in god and then the trinity is supposed to be a true explanation of the the nature of god Right, that it, it it seems like you should still, even on that way of splitting the difference, you know, that very traditional way of splitting the difference that I just said, it still seems like you should be able to like take a step back and be like, hold on though, right? Like, uh, if this is the, you know, if the nature of the entity, right, even though you weren't bringing this up in that argument, right, that that I was supposed to believe in this entity. But if you're now telling me that the nature of this entity is so mysterious that, you know, you sort of have to take it on faith that it's even internally logically coherent, then is this, let's go back to this. Is this now really the best explanation for this data that I should believe that it was caused by this, this thing that we're not even totally sure that there's a coherent hypothesis there? Yes. So I think that's the exact right question to ask and kind of the direction, you know, kind of how I was led into um, thinking about the Trinity of recent is this idea, you know, 
it keeps being said. I've been comparing Christian theism to competing naturalist hypothesis, but then it's it's there becomes a question of well, what all is involved in Christian theism? Right. And my answer uh, came down to the Trinity, the Incarnation, the Atonement. And I think that if those are the that the content of our hypothesis, those have those <laughs> doctrines have theoretical costs that you just have to take into account. Like the our models in Bayesianism are only as good as the assumptions that we're making about them. You know, the the probability judgments don't mean anything unless we understand the assumptions that are involved in them. And so it's not clear to me that if we assume something, you know, these things go well beyond, you know, theism simpliciter, the idea that there's just a perfect being. But now Mm -hmm. we have to tack on things like the Trinity, the incarnation, the atonement, an afterlife, um, the efficacy of prayer. These are all different things that are all built into that model that have to be accounted for. And I think a lot of times discussion of that gets overlooked. And so exactly what you just said, religious skeptics like myself are well within their epistemic rights to take a step back and say, whoa, you want to say that this model is the best explanation. I'm not going to concede anything of the sort until... I, I am owed a way in which all of these problems of coherence can be resolved. And there, there isn't some problem of a really low intrinsic prior probability. Yeah. So, I mean, just, just, to, you know, just to like really try to, uh, underline and, and circle that point a couple of times. Um, you know, so some of these some of these issues you mentioned, right? You know, the efficacy of prayer, the possibility of an afterlife, uh, like are of course all things that it would be, um, you know, like a possible combination of positions, and you know, it's a combination of positions that some people historically have had, right? You know, that there is some sort of God, but not that sort of God, uh, that uh, that these things would be would be true of. Uh, but it it seems like you can, if you're going to argue that the existence of God is the best explanation for uh, the, you know, is for the existence of the world or, you know, why there's something rather than nothing or, you know, why the world is the particular way that it is or, you know, et cetera, um, then like... And also you believe in, in that God, right? You know, that it's, it's not clear that you should be able to have the first discussion entirely as if like in a, in a way that sort of completely brackets like the specific way that you think that God is because, um, you know, it, it just, you know, because it, it seems like if, if so, in a way, like you're not really comparing like to like, right? Because because you're because presumably, you know, if we're thinking about it, especially in this inference, the best explanation way, then like the argument that's that's typically being had is not one between you know like a Christian theist say and somebody who just says, well, I have no particular ideas about how reality works. I just don't think there's a god, 
right? You know, like the the, the discussion <laughs> is typically had between somebody who's a Christian theist and somebody who has like, you know, who thinks, you know, even if they don't know all the details, whatever, like, you know, who who thinks that like some sort of naturalistic explanation is true that, you know, has like particular ideas about how causation works, all of that stuff. Uh, so, uh, so given that, you know, you could, you know, could say, well, if we're really going to compare like to like, right. If, if the real question here, right. Is like, is my worldview more likely to be true or is your worldview more likely to be true? You know, the fact that like, maybe there's some, for the sake of argument, right. Like, let's say there's some third option, which would be like, you're some sort of, uh, you know, ultra rationalist deist who, you know, who doesn't think that, you know, uh, God answering prayers, afterlife, etc. doesn't think that any of that is real. It's like, sure, we could put that in the mix and see if, you know, and see if their world, you know, see how their worldview stacks up against both of ours, right? But if we're doing the, if we're doing the comparative question, right, then you shouldn't just sort of do this level of generality like some sort of God. You should really say, well, okay, but is your particular view of how reality works with all these particular problems about how an afterlife could even work given problems about personal identity, about how, whether it makes sense that, you know, an all-knowing, all-powerful God would be responsive to prayers and how to make sense of what's going on there. Whether or not uh, we have an immaterial soul. Right. Like these you know, are all real big, real big assumptions that you kind of, like you said, you have to kind of circle them and underscore them and be like, hey, <laughs> we can't ignore these. Yeah, and, and you should, and like the sort of coherence, you know, like... I mean, and, and, you know, once they're even coherent and then, like, therefore, you know, candidates uh, for uh, for things that might, might or might not be true, uh, you know, the evidence for them should all be be in the, you know, in the mix in that in that discussion. Right. In other words, like, you, know, you can't just sort of, you know, pursue, you know, general arguments about the, you know, the existence of God without, you know, without thinking also about how, um, yeah, like, like. Yeah, if you have, uh, if you're going to say, is you know, is theism a better explanation of you know how reality works than you know naturalistic atheism, right? Then, well, if they, you know, if you want to have compare like to like, it could be as theism is generic theism a better explanation than absolutely anything other than that, right? You know, which would, which would be generic atheism, right? The, or is um kind of a pluralist model yeah that like this is the one god that all the other religions are ever so approximating in their own ways yeah right um but then like if you think like no but like what do you think god is how do you think god works and then like once you answer that question then it seems like you'd say okay well now i know exactly how you think reality works and now we can have a good discussion about the you know now we can have a good discussion about this but you know given that you know given that set of moves you know you can't just sort of bracket off like here's our rational argument that some sort of god exists and now how exactly does he work eh, throw up your hands it's a huge mystery you know you can you know holy spirit revelation you know whatever you know that'll that'll all tell you what to think about this or or you know, like, or or at least give you confidence that there is an answer, even if we can't figure it out. Uh, because, yeah, I mean, just to just to kind of circle around to the beginning, um, you know, if if I say, it's like, uh, have you ever read Philip K. Dick's novel *Valis*? 
I have not. Okay, so there's a line in there where um, there's I don't, I don't remember the um, uh, I might be getting this slightly wrong. I remember it started with Z, but there are two characters who are like I think it's in like rehab or something, and they're joking around, and one of them says, "You know, I don't um, I don't believe in God." You know, but I'm, I'm, I also, you know, I also don't, you know, I'm also not just a materialist. It's like, oh, what do you think? It's like, oh, I think the the, the great Zamboni caused it. It's like, oh, who's the great Zamboni? Well, it's a mystery, right? Like, you know, that's yeah. not, you know, like now you're not really, you know, that's uh, offered as a more serious explanation. <laughs> it's the, yeah, it's yeah. the mystery box explanation. Well, what's in the mystery box? We're not supposed to ask that question. Yeah, and if you say like, okay, here's one theory and it has its flaws and virtues. Here's another theory; it has its flaws and virtues. And then here's like a big question mark. Then, uh, like that, yeah, that last one. Like maybe the simplest, most intuitive way of putting your point is that like that last one doesn't really seem like it's in contention yet. Yeah, it's yeah. it's not it's not really. Um the one that's making waves kind of really the, the, if, if you look at the literature in philosophy of religion journals or uh, analytic yeah. theology, um, really kind of the hope, the, the, the hope that seems to be among the at least the writers that I've read um, is that there's some unknown, you know, there's two really popular models, the one self model and the three self model, but they have their various problems, serious problems. And so they're, the hope is that there's this some third model out there that we just haven't discovered yet. But when we do discover this model, it'll help make sense of the Trinity in ways that this one self and this three self model just can't quite seem to do. Yeah. All right. Well, that's really well said. Uh, there's so much more that we could say about all this. I hope this is the first of several appearances, but um we should uh, we should probably cut it off there for uh, for today. Uh, where can people find the podcast? So we are on YouTube. We are on uh, Apple Podbean. Wherever you like to get your podcast, um, we're on it. We have a Facebook. We have a Twitter. We have an Instagram. Um, so look us up. We interview some lead, some of the leading philosophers of religion on both sides of. Um, the aisle, and so we hope that we can provide some resources to people on both sides of this question. All right. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ben. Thank you so much for having me.